Hello, friends. I'm Luke, and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org. From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. Now, last week, Jesus Christ told a very compelling parable. In short, the kingdom of God is like somebody in a t-shirt, basketball shorts, and Crocs who walks into a masquerade ball full of fancy dresses and cummerbunds, only for that person to get violently booted by the party host. Thus, Jesus Christ is the one in that story who gets booted out, and it is a representation that God's kingdom is stands in stark contrast with all of the other kingdoms of this world. Now that is important because today's gospel picks up on the very next verse. Some of Jesus' opponents decide that this spicy story from him about how his kingdom is dramatically different, saving you from coughing into your into my microphone, <clears throat> Some of Jesus' opponents decide that this spicy story about how his kingdom is vastly different than the others has basically left him open to an attack. And in today's gospel, they strike. Uh, So, Jesus, your kingdom is so different than everybody else's. Okay, well, what say you about paying taxes to Caesar? Huh? Where you at on that? Now, As the text says, this question does not come from a place of genuine curiosity. They're not actually interested in hearing Jesus weigh in on this policy decision. No, it's a trap. And in a way, to preach a sermon about taxes or not is basically to accept the trap that they've laid. So we need to do something more interesting than that. Here's here's the way the trap works. If Jesus says on the public record, yes, 
pay the tax, they can snag him because some viewed this tax as basically treasonous for these people. Oh, I see. So, so uh, again, into the microphone, you say you support paying the occupying force, you know, the Roman Empire, through this taxation, huh? Is that what you said? Furthermore, others have made the case that these coins broke one of the, like, really big commandments. You had a pagan emperor with his face on it and an inscription that's claiming that he is actually divine. Now, you might say, this is a graven image, and we're now playing in idolatry. So, you see how the trap works? If Jesus says, yes, pay it, the aggregators are instantly going to put his statement on X and TikTok in their own pods with two listeners, and they're going to say, Jesus Christ supports the emperor. Jesus Christ supports big coinage, big idolatry. You know, we've all heard weird reports about who Jesus has been seen with in public lately, and I kind of knew things were getting a little you with this guy. Now we know it's true. I mean, you know it's true. Try putting a picture of the orange you had for breakfast on your Insta stories. I mean, it's not going to be long before somebody comes across it and says, ah, okay. You know, I typically like your stuff, but I just cannot believe you didn't say anything about French toast. And the the slander for the blueberry, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's re- this is the kind of mentality that you get into here that Jesus is facing today. Furthermore, if Jesus on the other side of the trap says, no, don't pay that tax, well, they can trap him again. This time they can trap him because they can turn him over to the occupiers to the empire. And they can say, hey, we caught this guy red-handed. He's out here stirring people up with insurrectionist ideas saying that y'all shouldn't be paid. So we just thought we'd make you aware. All right, you see how the trap works? Now, Jesus, if you've been here for a while, this should not surprise you. He doesn't mince words. He says, why do you test me, hypocrites? I imagine Jesus turns and takes a couple steps away and then turns back around as if to say, yeah, no, today I'm not, I I, I can't just leave it at that today. I'm not going to let that go today. He walks back and he says, let's play. Show me the coin. You want my opinion on the coin to pay the tax or not? Show it to me. This is such a smart move by Jesus. Uh, Hey guys, if you want me to comment on this dubious coin, I would have to lay eyes on it. Um, I'd have to take a closer look at it. I, I don't have one of those on me. And so his trappers quickly, oh, right here. And they fish one out of their pocket. Oh, we got tons of them. Huh. Oh, you have one. That's interesting. Come here. Let me, let me, let me take a look at it here. Now, they want a spicy hot take on this coin, and I get that. But apparently Jesus has already proven to them You must not be too invested in this because y'all are walking around with them in your pockets, right? I wouldn't know what one looks like, but come on, give it to me. So they present the coin to him. And what's really kind of an amazing theological moment, if you think about it, in some weird way, it's almost a grotesque inversion of when we place the little bread into your hands each week for communion. Here you have the trappers placing Caesar's coin 
hailing him as divine into the hand of Jesus Christ. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. Here it is. So Jesus looks it over. Then he leads with curiosity. Uh, Whose image is this? (laughs) It's actually really kind of fun to play around with how you think those words. Whose image is this? Huh? Who's, Who's this guy? Well, that would be Caesar's. Oh. He flips it back to him and he says, well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Does that just wrap it up for everybody? Well, I can't get Dorothy Day's little question out of my head. It's been piercing me all week. Once you give God what belongs to God, what's going to be left for Caesar? In other words, doesn't everything belong to God? Now, this, of course, is counter to many of our notions of ownership and counter to certain Christians' notions of stewardship. We sometimes think, well, God has given us a lot, so we ought to just be grateful and give a little bit back. I think Jesus' notion is really more radical than that. Actually, all things are created by God, and all things are God's, and all things have always belonged to God. We have gotten interested in trying to possess what is God's. How's that going for us, this possession enterprise? In all of our attempts to possess, it's really not very long, is it, before we realize that we are now being possessed by the things we try to possess. They get its grip on us. Suddenly we're trapped. Now, if we believe that everything doesn't belong to me, but instead it's always been God's, then I think that shares with others. And I think that changes how we redistribute or think about or manage or steward all of the things that God has shared with us. Give Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give God what belongs to God. If Caesar loves that coin so much that he put his faith on it, sure, Go ahead and give it back to him every April. Do that. But enough about a coin, okay? Enough with your little trap. I don't want to talk about a coin in the image it bears. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about the image that you bear. You are not a coin. You are a human. Made in the image of God. And the New Testament says that Jesus Christ is the image of God. You actually bear Jesus Christ's image into the world. You should give your whole life to God. What part of your life are you holding back from God that you just say, no thanks, you don't get to touch this? Jesus Christ says, you bear my image. And this God wants it all. This is why we say that our church's work is to put Jesus Christ at the center of our lives. We're bearing his image, so we're figuring out how to gather with other people, how to listen for when God speaks, how to respond to this God in prayer, how to transform every table into an extension of this Eucharistic feast, and how to act as if everybody we meet 
we've been sent to those people to love them. This whole life is God's, friends. It has always been God's. It has never been under our possession. Your life is God's gift to you. I mean, can you imagine what kind of imaginative space would open us open up for us if we believed that all of life was actually a gift that God is simply sharing with us because God wants to share it with us? How open-handed might we become? But as is often the case with Jesus, his stories of good news that are for everybody also still come with warnings. And this warning is for churches like ours who are continually tempted to trap Jesus ourselves. That's the real danger. We always still want to trap Jesus and use his words against him to further our own agenda. Not that we have any real intention of listening to what Jesus has to say or internalizing it and making a difference in our own lives. No, no, we're not being serious. We just come in with pre-cooked agendas and ideas about how things ought to be. And then we go hunting for anybody who can bolster our ideas. And my God, who better to support than Jesus? Today's gospel really is, therefore, an extension of last week's lessons. The truth is, we do live in a land with a long history of power plays, desiring to use the church. Because sometimes those who think that they are in power think that the church can be good for their business. And we're way too willing to let powerful people use us. Christians, almost everywhere, but certainly in this country, we almost can't resist the allure of power. It really is our catnip. And we've been far too willing to let people use the stories and symbols and churches as props for how the world wants to do business. But Jesus Christ says, my church does not exist to be yet another tool for the world to get done what it wants to get done in the same old violent ways it always wants to get it done. We're trying to be someone different. And the reality is, Christian leaders like me are all too desperate to be seen as relevant in the eyes of the world And this is why you get so many Christians who are very willing to traffic in the same kind of cruelty and violence that others are in the name of God, because we're too desperate to be taken seriously by Caesar, by the powers that be. And so we are willing to try and trap Jesus and aggregate his words out of context in order to push our agenda so that we can then be taken seriously by people who we think are taking us seriously because we think they have real power and we don't. It's a lot of repenting that we have to figure out how to do. Speaking of commandments, if you want to figure out what that commandment means when it says taking the Lord's name in vain, that's a pretty good way to figure it out. It's not when you stub your toe and you go, oh, uh, well. (laughs) 
It's using God, trapping Jesus, and using him to further your pre-cooked agenda in the world. So a word to the wise. Don't try and trap Jesus, okay? And even if it looks like you finally got him, I promise you it is only because he wants to be there. And he's about to put you in a holy headlock. In fact, our greatest attempt to try and trap Jesus and put him in place is what we call Good Friday. The cross was our ultimate attempt to put God in place and stay. Now you listen here. We've got work for you to do. You need to stop saying these things. And thanks be to God, the resurrection is God's way of saying, yeah, I'm not playing your stupid little games. I'm trying to raise you into a better way of being human. I'm trying to call you to life. I am trying to raise you from the dead. I'm calling you into a better way of being human where nobody has to die at the hands of each other. You don't have to utilize and use one another to push agendas. You can actually enjoy being with one another. Jesus Christ has been showing us for 2,000 years that we will never possess him. He will never belong to us. Rather, we, like all parts of creation, have always belonged to him. So, give everything that is God's back to God, your whole life. And whatever might be left, Caesar is certainly welcome to it. find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.